Hello and welcome back to another X Rental, the show that drags you back to the 90s where Pogs and Tazos were king. Today, it's just me and Ash, unfortunately, no one to buffer us from our in- incessant bickering. Um, Ash, this is one of your picks, a film that I had never previously seen. Why don't you tell yeah. us what we're talking about? We are talking about 1997's Gross Point Blank. Released in the UK in August 1997, the same month sees the release of Stereophonic's debut record, Word Gets Around, which is still great despite the band now being fucking awful. Derby County leave the allegedly cursed baseball ground to move into their new stadium, Pride Park, and yes, Princess Diana died and I won't make another uncouth joke about it, but really what a fucking barren month for news in the UK that August 97 was, so it's probably good for the papers that she did die. I feel like every month there is a death or a tragedy uh, and Ash can find it like a bloodhound. Speaking of death and tragedy, um, gross point blank. Ash, you got any questions for me? I mean, first of all, I'm really surprised that you had never seen this film before. Well, I guess it depends on how you were with the, with the movie press in the late nineties, but it was a pretty big critical hit whilst admittedly being a box office flop. But what did you think? So 1997 was a a, a very special year for me because it was the year that I started engaging with uh, film magazines like Hot Dog and Total Film and Empire. So I was reading up about everything that was coming out. So that'd be like Lost in Space and um, Anaconda and all this sort of shit. And Gross Point Blank did feature very heavily. Um, But it's something, for, for whatever reason, I'd never got round to. So last night I popped it on. For, for my first ever viewing and i've got to say uh that i really didn't like it what the fuck I had no, you must have seen that coming surely no because i kind of I, I thought this was a home run when you were nah. saying to me you'd never seen it before i was like this is a yeah this is this is a brad would definitely drive with this movie this is a good N- shout it's a great fucking flick no one doesn't like this movie i don't like this movie fair fucks pray do tell um <clears throat> eat pray love eat pray love um my issue with the film is i don't lo- i know you don't you don't have to like all the characters but i do not like a single character in this entire film um i find uh john cusack uh to be one of those guys that uses neurodivergency as an excuse for treating people poorly and <laughs> i um didn't empathize with him in any meaningful way there's clearly something in his past that's that's triggered this event, and you know, and and the, and the, the subsequent ten years of his life where he's been out in the wilderness with the army, and then obviously onto his contract killing. But I, 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 I actively disliked John Cusack in this film. Really did not like him. I'm genuinely shocked. I especially as because I know that you're a big fan of Barry as well. We're yeah. we're on a we're on a pretty similar path. Yeah, wise. Maybe, oh, maybe not going as dark as Barry. Obviously, <laughs> maybe, maybe because I've seen Barry beforehand. It could, that's actually a good point. It can't. It can't reach that echelon. But I, yeah. I, I, I genuinely, I like it, the script for me feels like a sixteen-year-old was obsessed with Tarantino and Woody Allen, and made uh, like a first draft, and then they felt just filmed it. it. It's really adolescent and juvenile, and I don't think it. It doesn't deal with trauma effectively if you're looking at it from a psychological standpoint. And it also is terrible in terms of 
what it says about Minnie Driver's character, where you know he's treated her awfully, and then she she what she just forgives him because there's some kind of magnetism potentially there. But it turns out that the moral of the story is you can treat women really poorly just as long as you kind of say sorry at some point. <laughs> I'm fucking, I'm really shocked. I'm honestly a bit shocked to my core. Horrified. Bamboozled. Flabbergasted. Why don't you tell me why you love it? I'm not going to dispute it with you because yeah. I can see everyone loves it. I do get that. I see that, but I it, it did That's not fine. connect with it at all. I'm not going to slag you off for it. I've slagged you off for many things, but... I, of all people, know what it's like to bounce off of something that everyone loves. Um, but yeah, I, I, as you say, I remember it being advertised in Empire like crazy at the time. They really, really pushed it. But from memory, I don't think it ended up getting a wide release in the UK because it was quite... It, it, it flopped. Um, so it was on video that I finally saw it at the tail end of the century, which is handy for this uh, little shindig that we've got going on. Um, mm-hmm. But I had to badger boss man at the video shop to get a copy in because it wasn't a huge hit and he totally came through for me on it and honestly it from the minute it finished i've been head over heels for this film i I, it's one of my go-to's it has all of the trademarks of a great 90s action comedy whilst also hinting at the neurosis we were collectively about to go through in the 2000s onwards uh which evidently is what rubbed you up the wrong way (laughs) throughout it um, I mean, again, I'm surprised when you said you didn't like a single character. Like, I, I get not liking John Cusack. I get not liking Jeremy Piven because I also feel like that's just a natural reaction to anything. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's just Piven. how... That's yeah. just it, yeah. Joan Cusack is great in the small world. She, she, is, she is good. She's good. I'll give <laughs> you that. so much fun. And I think the, the uh, director, George Armitage, he uses her very sparingly. And given the escalation that happens in the film with her character... I thought that was a really, really intelligent way of, of of using her. I think it's really disappointing that Armitage hasn't made more films. Uh, he did, Do you not he, think he, that maybe there's a reason? Well, the, the, I mean, 2004's The Big Bounce is probably the main reason why he hasn't made another film, because that was genuinely fuck-awful. But he did Miami Blues, Big Gap, and then this. And both films critically loved Big, the, well, so I say big fan bases in the grand scheme of they have a, a fan base which is loud and yeah he's not really done anything since he's, he's the odd TV show here and there it's quite surprising because I, how do you feel about the direction in the film is that another thing that you just you just it, it's it's fine it's serviceable it's definitely you can tell it's a man that cut his teeth in 80s action um, mm. and I, I don't I don't begrudge that I think the film's probably it's most engaging during the hitman scenes um mm. it's just all the fucking gump around it but i'm just like i'm not buying into this you know i like the fight in the convenience store and excellent and obviously a big influence on barry as well yes yes especially with the headphones and the not yeah. knowing it's going on you know I've, you've seen that a, a thousand times probably since maybe it was the first time you'd seen it pro- you know at that point i don't know i don't care um but it doesn't surprise me when you look at the the writers involved with this film and the director have done next to nothing before and since really they've, they've not done a lot and as i say the, it, this the, it falls down for me on its script because it doesn't convincingly 
make me believe anything that's happening. And I know you can have these kind of fantastical worlds and everything like that, but the film is quite grounded in reality. It's not a, a dream. It's not a metaphor. It is. I'm like, people don't behave like this. Like that's not, ha- even if you have gone through te- 10 years of psychological torture, killing people, it's not so much that he seems like he's broken by it. He seems like he's bored by it, which is a different thing altogether. Um, and if you're going to be in a malaise, then that's how you should behave. But he acts so skittishly. There's some great stuff when he first comes in and to have a chat with her um, in the radio station. He closes the blinds and he wants to switch seats because he knows that there might be someone trying to assassinate him behind him. And it's great. She puts him on the spot for yeah. all of his bullshit immediately. Yeah. So I think yeah. Minnie Driver's great in this. She's cool. I find her like charming. She, she's, yeah, she's charming is, is the right word. Mm. What I want to ask you about is um, what is your fucking obsession with films that are so overly reliant on absolute banger soundtracks? Like, what's this all about? Well, until you kind of gave me the heads up, I hadn't actually thought about it. But, I mean, especially with this decade. it's This this film is ridiculous. The, the soundtrack is ridiculous. Yep. And it's I, I, I think it's because it's not something I'm a conscious decision that I've ever made. I've just fallen. I think it's because the nineties itself was such a formulative time for me in finding not only the cinema that I love, but the music I love, they've evidently become entwined. Uh, that could be again, because the nineties did see like the MTVification of cinema, big films having their tie in songs. I mean, funnily enough, the, the, the reason I'm on the path of music I listen to now actually all started off in 1991 with before I'd even seen Terminator 2 when Guns N' Roses did uh, tied it in You Could Be Mine with Terminator 2 and had Arnie in the video. and it was That is up. true, yeah. That was like, for me, that was the start of getting into guitar-based music. I was too young for that Sweet Child of Mine and all that lot, so it was that go-round with, with GNR was where I was like, oh, hang on a minute, this is this is not Kajagoogoo. You know, no. This is, this is not Bross. Similarly, um, I was I I was I had a similar similar film music journey with the Matrix soundtrack. Mm, yeah, because before that, I was listening to like Mark Morrison and Warren G. Still bang. And then I was like, "What's all this screamy reamy? Yeah. What's this? What's this Rammstein?" <laughs> I was like, "Oh, this is quite good, isn't it?" Yeah. And then but that's w- how that. Yeah, but I think I wouldn't say that it's something I've consciously sought out. But I'm like, oh, I must watch these films. They exclusively have these jukebox soundtracks of just great fucking songs from that period of time and even before that because this song's got a lot of um like retro classics to, yeah retro classics because it is ultimately based around a high school reunion um mm. so i've not consciously ever sought out identified it as a main selling point for why i gravitate towards these films but at the same time like i say your observation is about a million fucking miles away from being wrong it's bang on the money <laughs> it's something it's something i think you are, are so intrinsically tied between music and film less so than me mm. um where music still does play a part of it but it's nothing close to like how tethered you are to those things and it will be an ongoing theme with the films that i end up picking for my choices god yeah so i need to start i'm gonna start picking not films with no songs just, just silent. pie we have no budget whatsoever for licensing (laughs) yeah i've got to save money somewhere on the subjects of of high school reunions why don't we have them in the uk do you not think i don't know is it the uk being still a bit stiff up a lip fuddy daddy bit of a nation uh because it should because when you think about we've had tons of u.s traditions have come over here um 
I mean, just the idea of well, Halloween, massive uh, dating. Like, I just the, the concept of what, dating, did we not date before? We do we court? It's not something I knew of. I've never been on a date in my entire life. It got to point where I, I met my girlfriend and then our wife and was just like, "Do you want to go out with me?" But that meant, as this in, is... that was like their, the US equivalent of going steady. <laughs> these, these, um, the, the listeners are going to be not. That's going to be the least revelatory thing that you've said in this podcast. I've never been on a date. They're going to be like, obviously, <laughs> obviously, <laughs> why would you go fuck yourself? Um, but also like graduation that's coming. You see, like you, you, you see, like kids from primary schools, like where they're like eleven, wearing like graduation jumpers with like their friends names on the back and stuff like that i mean i, I just thought that was a university only thing but that's become widespread it's strange that although i have seen the odd reunion pop up it's never of the scale that we're led to but but is that again is that the magic of cinema that's leading us to believe it's a bigger thing than it actually is i do think it is a lot more prevalent in the u.s and any u.s listeners that deign to listen to this may be able to tell us down below in the comments but for me, I think that if, especially if it's a ten-year one, right? Yeah. What the fuck did I achieve in the first ten years of school? Like <laughs> nothing. So like, if we're saying if we're, if we're saying it's a twenty-year anniversary, a twenty-year reunion, would you yeah. go to your twenty-year reunion from your secondary school? So let's say sixteen to eighteen. Yeah. So I. The the problem is that Facebook. You know, your friends with all your yes. friends from school. And you get to see how they fucked up their lives and had kids at 16. And then those kids are now some people I go to school with are grandmothers. And I'm like, I'm like, Jesus Christ. Um, I like it's unbelievable. So, but from a morbid curiosity thing, like how we it would be quite fun to go back. But then I yeah, like the, I didn't have a lot of friends in school. That won't surprise listeners either. There's your revelation that no one's shocked by you, wanker. <laughs> yeah, no one, no one like me. Um but like I went, you know, I went to a school that, you know, I was kind of the outsider for liking metal and being a bit of a grebo. And I'm sure it was maybe the same for you as well. Um, but no, I was on the football team. I was cool as shit. I was no, on the football no, team. No, I wasn't cool as shit, but I was on the football team. So I, I had enough of an in not to be on the out, if that makes sense. <laughs> I was on the football team too. Jesus, it's not that bad. Um, but yeah, like I, I would, I would go we out. Should clarify that soccer for the Americans. Soccer. Yeah. Yeah, I was a striker. I'm a right back. Yeah, a marauding right back. There's no right back in the changing room that don't work. No, just right (laughs) back on the bottom of the team sheet. Pity, pity selection. I was was Kyle Walker before there was a Kyle Walker. (laughs) I was about to defame him. (laughs) I decided cool heads, cool heads prevailed there. (laughs) So I. I know um, that you weren't a big fan. Was there any kind of personal scene highlight or in a particular low light that jumps out? As I say, I hate John Cooper. We've not covered. Yeah, he's fun. He's fun, but he also, for me, feels like he's going through the motions. Like, it doesn't seem like what you would call an all-time Ackroyd performance. It seems like generic Ackroyd. Kind of like Ray stands, but like a little bit. It feels like. Do you, rem- do you remember 1994 Tommy Boy? Yeah, Zelinsky. He's Ray Zelinsky. He's essentially if Zelinsky was an absolute psycho. Yeah, he is very much that following that kind of performance. He's good fun, but yeah, I mean, any scene where you're like, oh, actually, no, this this is where it turns around, and then it didn't turn around for you. For me, it, it was probably the scene where yeah, he goes back and and finds out that his his, his home as. Um, become a convenience store. Um, not so much that bit because then he goes and has that really trite scene with his mum. 
Yeah. Uh, where it's like, ah, oh, I've gone crazy, and oh, like, yeah, he wasn't there to protect her. Or I would whatever. have cut that. I would have cut it's that. Ba- it's a bad scene. It's it, that, that's that what that was is... the decline when that scene happened. Oh, I was like, I don't yeah. like this. Yeah, I, because it's never really referred upon to again. or touched upon again. It just feels like it's a. Uh, when people say, "Oh, the oh, the film was manipulative with emotions," it's like, well, yeah, no shit. That's the kind of that's the point of the medium is to drag our emotions out of us in some way shape or form but with scenes like that i'm like mm, that isn't a cloying attempt that's lazy that, that's lazy that's manipulation lazy. that's tokenism that's you, you, you know, taking the sad mad old woman trope mm. and just kind of being like well fish we'll just put one in there and like it should it'll be sad when it really yeah um so th- that was where the film started to lose me i was already like he's as i say neuro he's definitely neurodiver he must be he must be late nineties. It wasn't. It wasn't. What, what, what wasn't so much spectrum talk then. It was basically no. Rain Man, yeah. <laughs> or, or Silence <laughs> of the Lambs. My left foot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it wasn't uh, a a great time period for uh, for for, for neurodivergent uh, subtlety. Yeah, especially in the in the, the male variety. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I just I. I don't know. I didn't find it charming. And I think you need to f- find a film like this endearing in order to oh, absolutely. Yeah, engage yeah. with it. And I, d- I didn't. Every time yeah. I was like, I, d- I, d- I actively don't want you to win. I'd, I'd rather mini. <laughs> like even the last scene with the proposal, I'm like absolute fucking horseshit. <laughs> like they're in the bathtub and he realizes and he saves the dad. And then he's just like, I want to marry you. And he's like, you have my blessing. Ter- like terrible. That is terrible fucking writing, terribly performed. And I was like, as soon as that finished, and then we see the drive off in the car, I was like, I am so fucking glad this is over. I thought that was the the very atypical 90s wrap-up. But also kind of refreshing in a way of, oh, well, let's not set everything up for a sequel. That came later on in the decade. If there was a sequel. (laughs) They've been trying to make a sequel for a while. There's been no a, way. when Cusack did Hot Tub Time Machine, the director Steve Pink showed interest in doing it. Um, but I think again, it's one that I mean, you're probably happy for it to be one and done. Yeah. I think it should be one and done because I love it the way it is. Um, so do you think? So do you usually bounce off Cusack? Are you are you not a Cusack boy? Well, I think he is very similar to an actor that you know is near and dear to my heart. I think even in this film. Watching Gross Point Blank, I was like, do you know what would make this film better? Nicolas Cage. I think Nicolas I'm, Cage I don't makes, see it. makes Gross Point Blank infinitesimally better. I don't see it, I'll be honest. I know but you don't see it. I, I think that I, I, I get the connection because I do feel, I feel especially in this side of the millennium, there has been attempts to cage up Cusack. And he's not that guy. He's, he's, uh, I, I think the actors, I, I, I think when they do that, the actor's natural charm and charisma, in this case, I'm, I'm referring to Cusack, his natural charm and charisma is, is a total disservice. Um, where Amped Up Cage kind of comes into his own in roles like Mandy, Cusack tends to either be completely unable to really sell it, or more often is with the completely wrong creative team for it to ever work, which is, again, definitely on this side of the millennium. Um, I'd say the, I'd say like the closest we came to a successful Cusack as Cage was fourteen oh eight, 
And I'm not even a big fan even of that. Then, even then, it's not great. Yeah. It's, it's interesting that they both had the similar career trajectories. Yeah. Obviously, Cage is now having a, a bit of a swung song and, you know, goes through peaks and troughs. But you look at the amount of, like, director video shit that Cusack's now putting exactly. out, even things like Cell, which were, like, high, like, like b- bigger budget, but still just DTV shit, really, yeah. in the grand scheme I mean, they should have just had me in the meeting room for that one. If they said, we're going to adapt Stephen King's Cell, and I said, I'm going to stop you there. <laughs> So someone Don't. who's read every Stephen King book and has a blind spot, majorly for even the worst Stephen King, sell his fucking dog shit. <laughs> I, I feel like, like again, we're, we're talking. It's impo- it's impossible for us to have a '90s film podcast talking about Cage and Cusack and not talk about Con Air. That's where I feel like they got the best of the both: the straight like, man and the and the kind of charismatic freak. Exa- yeah, Cusack was fun in that movie without going OTT, whereas Cage was able to cage it up. Obviously reined in a little bit by Simon West and Bruckheimer and all that, like the same way that was done with like natural national treasure, etc. But you, there was enough cagesms. I mean just the the famous shot of him looking into the wind as his hair blows up. Stuff like that. Whereas John Cusack is like I've got my my John Cusack Hall of Fame actually covers three decades. So eighties, uh, nineties, two thousands. So you've got say anything, anything. gross point blank in this case and high fidelity. Um, then if you add on Love and Mercy and he, for me he's made a stone cold classic every decade he's worked and then a lot of shit peppered around it 2020's <laughs> pending yeah so he's one of those actors I'm always going to be pulling for in some way shape or form because I do think he's just pure charisma and he's I don't think I'd ever go I, I, think I really really like him in Love and Mercy but I don't think anyone's going to be saying that's an absolute bang on portrayal of Brian Wilson anytime soon but he's no. very good in it um, I don't think he's the world's greatest actor. I just think there is a lot of charisma that seems to, as you say, have, uh, has been put to the side in order to follow this pathway that Cage has done. And someone's kind of going, well, that was successful in having a career resurgence. Maybe this will be. Also, what fucking dinosaur skull did Cusack buy? I want to know. Because there's something. have one, hasn't some- he? Someone they've all got. He, he's at he's at his Kusak is always at his best when he's at his like pithy or sardonicness, mm-hmm. like when he's a bit sort of sassy, but in a kind of a less savvy faux way where he's just like I don't care, but like whatever, like and he shrugs things off and he kind mm-hmm. of you know nips and snips at people uh, like he's, he does in Connor. He's like the the cool kid at school who again he I'm not saying that's me because I absolutely fucking wasn't, but that one who's not quite in with the in crowd, nor is he cast out with the out crowd. He's the guy who, who can float between yeah scenes between uh, clicks. Yeah, he's the John Stones. You can put him in any position; he'll do a job. Exactly. So good. That's two man city I probably references. Would, I, probably would have, I probably would have said James Milner personally, or Joshua Kimmich. Yeah, that's another good one. That's a good one. That's a good one. Um, you got Thomas Swindle Larson. Oh my god! Right, I've started him off on an entirely <laughs> stupid thing. Now this has now become the football podcast. Let's Real name the most no. obscure footballer. Real ones know Tommy Swindle Larsson from Championship Manager ninety seven ninety eight two hundred fifty k from Stay Back in Norway. He'd be worth millions, millions, millions. Um, so is that you? You got anything else to say about Gross Point Blank? No, I'm disappointed you didn't like it. I'm not going to lie. A it's little, all right. A little bit hurt, but also I don't feel like you you completely mugged it off, and I I think all of your reasoning is completely acceptable. It's just one of them things. Sad. Yeah, it's just sad. one of those things. Just yeah. you know, it just was, happens from time to time. I, I wonder. I went another in, MacGruber for us. I went in wanting to like it. I will say that to you. I did. I went in with the best intentions. I you know phones away. Did everything I should do. 
and um my kind of my 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 gut feeling was correct though this is the kind of film you usually would like probably like yeah it's kind of a home run and evidently yeah i was yeah. i was on board for it, it i like the premise foul. i like the idea but yeah just didn't didn't emotionally connect with it in any way and just yeah i found it really trite for, for yeah. my but that once yeah. again that's probably that's maybe something to do with when, when i've come to it and the media that i've consumed in its in in its absence yeah and i think that's going to be something we're for especially for films because there is a lot of films in the 90s we've not seen as much as i hoovered stuff up it wasn't the era of we got now where everything's at your fingertips no. especially when you when especially when you did find that one film you did really really like and you'd end up renting it time and time again uh there, there were no trailers online to be able to scan check around. Go, oh let up. me check this out it was all a lot of it was pretty much word of mouth based so there's a lot of stuff that we're not going to see that we've not seen that we're going to discuss and i think this is going to come up quite a lot especially yeah. in those staples of of stuff where we probably should have seen it it's an influential film but now we're at that point where we've seen all everyone else rip it off yeah like i think when, like, we do, when we do armistad yeah <laughs> I've never seen it. No, I, I, I love Spielberg. It's the only Spielberg film I've never seen. There we go. How Season put, two. How do you put yourself in the mood for Amistad? <laughs> it's like, oh, I've got, to, I've got to do the ironing. I put Schindler's List on. Yeah, chill Schindler's out. Schindler's a number of me, I feel like, in this decade. But yeah, yeah I, feel, I, I think I'm going to start calling it the John Carter effect. The John Carter of Mars effect, where they adapted the book into a movie way after the point where everyone had ripped off the book to the extent everyone's watched that film went well it's just a shit styles slash star trek slash tarzan slash whatever you're like no this was the first one yeah and you're like, it doesn't matter it doesn't matter there's been 60 years of content since <laughs> which is game, game over <laughs> it's game over well on that note we're going to wrap this one up today once again thank you guys at home for listening uh if you enjoying this inane chatter uh hit that fucking subscribe give us a like let us know if there's any films we should cover let us know how wrong i was in my review of uh gross point blank in the interim if you want to keep up with whatever stuff we're up to you can find us on at x rental yt on twitter and you can find me on social media sites such as letterbox twitter and all that at had branson and ash you'll find me on twitter at ash digs films and on letterbox at ash in 35 mm millimeter oh he's changed it Oh, is it just Ashen 35? I can never remember, to be honest. I'm not a great letterbox person anyway. I never review anything on there. I yeah, just put a star rating. Coward. So... coward. Yeah, coward. Yeah, not all of us can put up such holes of wisdom as Brad. Anyway, guys, thank you so much for listening again, and we'll see you on the next one. There you go.